so um, uh, last week, uh, Pastor Terry started uh, uh, talking about prayer. And so we could literally talk for, you know, probably six months on prayer and not exhaust it. But, and as he said last week, there's no way you can cover everything in, in one week. Well, there's no way you can cover it in two weeks. There's no way you can cover it in three. But I'm just going to take prayer. That, this is prayer part two. Why prayer? Why prayer? And there was something he said last week that just stuck with me in my mind all week long. And I want to ask you, I want to I bring that statement up. He said this. He said, heaven is filled with prayers that have never been prayed. Heaven is filled with prayers that have never been prayed. We will never know what God would have done through those who could have prayed. So I hope this morning we re-engage in that message that was started to come forth last week. There's something we, we just finished doing now. This, this should, uh, understanding prayer at a little bit uh, different level. Something that will cause us to hunger and thirst to do this a little bit more. So I'm going to start off with a, um, a prayer story. Let me say this first. Your prayers are real. Your prayers matter. They move the heart of God, and God is waiting for us to engage him. He's waiting for us to engage him that he might move. Now, here's a story along this line. This, this uh, uh, woman's name is Helen Rosefear. It was Dr. Helen Rosefear. She was a medical doctor. She was born in 1925. She passed away in 2016. And she lived and served as a physician in Northern Ireland and spent a couple of decades in the Congo as a, as a medical missionary. And so this is an eyewitness account. There's multiple witnesses who saw this, can attest to this, this story. And she says this. She says, one night, this was in Central Africa, she, she w- was working hard with a mother d- who was delivering a baby. And this mother had a, had a little girl. And this mother passed away delivering this child. And she, and she, so she left behind this premature baby and, uh, and this, this two-year-old who was crying. And they knew they were going to have difficulty keeping this little baby alive. They didn't have an incubator. They had no electricity to run an incubator. They had no special feeding facilities. They, 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 um, um, they lived on the equator, which means at nighttime it was really cold. There were literally treacherous drafts. So she sent a student midwife to the box that they had for four uh, uh, premature babies. And she, she asked her to get the cotton wool that, to wrap the baby in. And she sent another one to stoke up the fires and fill a hot water bottle with, with water. And she comes back and she tells Dr. Rosevere, she says, the, the water bust, the water bottle bust. It had dry rotted in that climate. What are they going to do? She said, just like in the West, we say no crying over spilt milk in Central Africa. There's no good crying over a burst water bottle. She says, they don't grow in trees. You can't go down to the third oak on the left and say there's a drugstore for a water bottle. It's not, there's, no, there's nothing that they can do. So they said, all right, put the baby near the fire as, as, as safely as you can. Sleep between the baby and the door. Keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. So the following day at noon, as most days, she went to prayer, and she went to the children in the orphanage. She said, will you pray with me? And she begins to share the situation about the baby and this little girl with, with the orphans and tell them what's going on. And, and, and explaining the problem, explaining the, the, mention the water bottle, and how easy it's going to be for this little baby to die if this little baby gets a chill. Now, during prayer, a little 10-year-old named Ruth stands up, and she prays with the unusual bluntness. She just comes right out, and she prays, and she says, please, God, send us a water bottle. 
It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. And while, and this is Dr. Rosevere speaking, she says, while I gasped inwardly at the audacity of prayer, she added by way of corollary, and while you're at it, God, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so that, so that she will know that you love her. As is often with children's prayers, she, Dr. Rosevere says, I, shall, I, was, I was put on the spot. T- totally on the spot. Can God do this? Is it possible that God could do this? She, she said, I just didn't believe that God could do this. Yeah, I know God can do everything. The Bible says, but there, but there are limits, aren't there? There's only, only one way God can answer this particular prayer, and that is if he sent a parcel from the United States. The problem is, in the entire four years she had been there at this point, no one had ever sent a parcel. Never, not once. Not only that, they would have to think to put a, bottle, a hot water bottle in there. They, they're on the equator. Why in the world would they think to put a hot water bottle in a box for people on the equator? Halfway through the afternoon, the, uh, while she was teaching and training the nurses, there was a message that came to her. There was a car at the front door. So but she, she, she says the car, but before she could even get to the car, the, the car take off, there was a 22-pound parcel. And she saw, saw that parcel. She started to tear up. So she calls all the children because there's no way she was opening this by, by herself. And she pulls them all together and she carefully pulls the string off and carefully unwraps it, wanting to save the paper and everything. And, and all the exciting is building and there's 30 or 40 eyes that are staring at this little box. And, and open it up and out of the top, she first pulls these knitted jerseys, brightly colored knitted jerseys. And they're all sparkling as she's handing out these jerseys. And then the kids started getting a little bit of bored because there's like pack, you know, there's bandages and stuff in there. And the kids are like, oh, wow, yeah. And, and, then, and then she says, next came a box was with raisins and sultanas, and so she's going to make buns. And then she puts her hand in, and she goes, no way. And she feels around, and she pulls it out. It was a brand new hot water bottle. She just began to weep. And little Ruth jumps up and says, if the water bottle's in there, the dolly's in there. And she digs down the bottom and pulls it out and says, here is the dolly. She says, can I go over with you, mommy, and give this dolly to the little girl so that she knows Jesus loves her? That parcel was on, had been on its way for five whole months. It was packed up by a former Sunday school class whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle to the equator. And one of the little girls put a dolly in for an African child. Five months later, based on the believing prayer of this little 10-year-old, there it is. What do we make of this? not a coincidence. Coincidences like that don't happen. It's either made up or God moved on the heart of a prayer. God moved on the heart of a prayer. Our goal this morning is to understand something. Your prayers are real. They matter. And God actually limits how he works in this world waiting for us to pray. Here's where we're going to go. If we want to understand prayer, we need to understand the kingdom of God. What, if we're going to understand the kingdom of God, what does it look like when the kingdom of God breaks in? What does that tell us about God? What does that have to do with prayer? And are there guiding principles for prayer? That's where we're going to go. If we want to understand prayer, we have to understand the kingdom of God. Well, what does the kingdom of God look like when it breaks into the world? 
What does that tell us about God? And what does all this mean about prayer? And then are there some principles that guide us in prayer? So why prayer? Why prayer? J.I. Packer says, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? That's the question. How can we learn? All of these things we learn about God, how can we go from learning about God to actually knowing God? He said the rule is doing this is simple, but it's demanding. It's that we turn each truth we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. In other words, what we learn about God in order to learn to pray to God, and in praying to God, we learn who God is. We relate to God. You see, if we're going to understand prayer, we need to understand the kingdom of God. To understand the kingdom of God, we need to know something about the person of God. God is a being in relationship. He is a being in relationship. What does that mean? It means before time, before matter, for eternal past, God has always existed as one and and a plurality in and of himself. That has to be so. What is the one characteristic of God that everybody would say, God is love? God is love. Well, the only way for love to exist in his essence, in his character, in his nature, is if there is a subject-object relationship. I would submit to you the greatest love relationship in the universe is the Father and the Son. The greatest love relationship in the universe is the Father and the Son. And it is expressed between them in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living love expression of God. Anybody ever feel the love of God? I wonder who that is. Well, here's the thing. If God is a being relationship and love requires relationship, then everything he does is true to that nature about relationship. Every purpose of God is about relationship. He created all this. What did he desire? A bride for his son. So the whole purpose of our existence The purpose of this created world, the purpose of understanding all of this is so that the kingdom of God can break into this world in relationship. The kingdom of God can break in from the beginning, all of history, the reason why God created the world and all of the chaos that we face and all of the evil that's in the world, the reason why it's here is God desires to break into the world to be in relationship with you and with me. Well, look, if that's the primary purpose, if that's the whole, here's, how do we know that's the primary purpose? I'll give you one simple scripture. We've, when Jesus taught us to pray, what did he teach us? He said, pray like this. Anybody ever pray this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The whole reason and purpose for all of creation is for the kingdom of God to break in. What, what God? The God who is a God in relationship. So what God desires more than anything else is to be in relationship, to build a kingdom. What does that kingdom look like? When he breaks in, what does it look like? God is building what? He's building a, a, a community, a common unity of people. And in that kingdom, the triune God, he is what? The source of love, the source of life, the source of light, all truth, all goodness, all beauty. It's centered around him. He's the most cherished being 
Why? Because in him, all of us, all of us find our unity. All of us find our unity. Relationship with him, relating to him. But here's the thing. How do we get into that? How do we get into that? Well, God sets the entrance criteria. He establishes the way we get in. But he says, you join by voluntarily. Free will. Your free will enables you to join in. It's up to you. It's your choice. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. So he doesn't force us. He doesn't uh, uh, um, um, push it on us. He offers us the opportunity to have a love relationship with the God of the universe. And what does that mean? Then we voluntarily, freely, progressively grow, experience him, experience his wisdom, his love. We experience relationship with him. We experience relationship with one another. We experience relationship with the world. And so what does that lead to? That leads to what? That leads to us co-laboring with God to change the world. Co-laboring with God to defeat evil. Co-laboring with God to be in relationship, to find truth, to find goodness, to find beauty, to be his imagers. Does everybody understand this purpose? Because I'm going to tell you, if you want to understand prayer, you have to understand that God comes to have relationship with us. And in that relationship, he desires us to choose him and to labor with him. Now, why is that important? If we think about the rules of the kingdom, how how the kingdom operates. We see all these principles, right? What are some of the rules? Have I heard of the great commandment? And there's a great commandment. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What is that? Love relationship, your free will and choice. To bring him to the center. To put him at center. And what does that do? That changes you. That changes me. And that leads us to what? Love our neighbor as ourself. What are we doing when we're doing that? We're changing the world. What, what's, what was another rule of the kingdom? The new commandment. What's the new commandment? To love one another the way Jesus loved us. We're to, what did he do? He laid his life down for us. What are we to do to others? Lay our lives down for others. What's another rule in the kingdom? The great commission. The great commission is to what? To go. Where? To the world. Relationship with others. And what do we do? We baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We bring the one triune God to the center, the unifying being over over all things. And what do we do? We teach everyone to do exactly what he commanded. And when we do that, we're overcoming evil. We're defeating death. We're bringing light where there's darkness. We're, We're chasing fear away. We're cooperating with God. So what does all this have to do with prayer? Well, what is the character and nature of God? He's personal. Which means he what? He loves to share good things with others, and he enjoys doing good things with others. Look, think of it this way. How many here are a parent? How many remember the joy the first time you got to work on a project with your child? You did something, and, and, and you... You taught your child how to do something, and you see them. Maybe they're tying their shoe. Maybe they're just learning how to eat. Maybe they're learning how to put clothes on or something. Could you do it much better than they could do it? 
Could you, could, could, you, uh, could you have done it for them and it'd be a lot quicker and you wouldn't have to wait? But how much joy did you get when you, oh my goodness, that, that, he, he took his first step. She, she, she put on her dress by herself. He picked up his fork and ate with his fork or he picked up his fork and ate with his hand. But he got that fork in that hand. And every step of the way as that child is growing, as that child is progressing, you are filled with joy. Why do you do that? Because you were created in the image of God. This is the heart of God. This is who our God is. Now, what does that mean for prayer? It means everything for prayer. God, does God need us? God doesn't need us. It's not about God needing us. God desires us. My goodness, if you understood how much God desired for, to cooperate with you in changing this world, you would begin to hunger and thirst to come to him, to be a part of that. He desires us. God doesn't need us. We need him. We need him. If the primary purpose of all of history is the breaking in the kingdom of God, and if the primary means of the kingdom of God breaking in is God participating with us who is free moral agents, volunteers, volunteers to joining him in his kingdom, if that's how God is going to build relationship, then listen, that means there are things God's not going to do until we engage him. In the same way, we as a parent as good parents, are not going to do certain things for our kids until they engage. Prayer's not a wish list. It's not rubbing the genie lamp. It's the actual cooperation with God in the heart of God to accomplish the will of God. Look, I'm not saying God will never act outside of human cooperation. He, he obviously will. He obviously does. What I'm saying is that our prayers are real and effectual. They're not just, the, uh, um, they're, they're not just uh, uh, an imagined life so that we feel good about ourselves. It's I'm saying God's waiting for us to ask him. Here's what I want us to do for a minute. I want us to imagine a difference in our prayer life right now. Imagine a difference. Here's the difference. Instead of praying prayers of desperation, instead of wondering if God's hearing you, instead of hoping you're not bothering God, instead of feeling like you're unworthy to bring a petition before him, instead of thinking you're not important, you're insignificant, instead of thinking you don't matter, Imagine praying for a minute, actually anticipating and expecting God to hear. Actually imagine for a minute knowing you're actually doing the very will of God in your prayer. Actually imagine, you're, think about this, you're actually giving God pleasure when you engage Him in prayer. What would your prayer life look like? How much would you want to lift someone else up in prayer? 
How much would you look forward to praying? I'm going to get a chance to please God right now. (laughs) Hey, can I pray for you, brother? Imagine God actually wants to look for a way to answer your prayer. You don't think I'm being scriptural? Turn over to Matthew 7. Ask, verse 7, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay, so let me give you a key to some of the things that are going on in this verse. When it says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock. What it's actually saying, the the grammar that it's saying is, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't stop asking. Don't stop. It's not just like, hey, God, it'd be nice. Okay, good. I'm done. And what will be the result of it? If you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open. How many believe that? You all have amazing prayer lives, don't you? Why? Because if we believe, we do. That's what belief means. Belief means we do. Not just acknowledge, but I believe it. I believe God is like that good father who says, you need bread, son? Oh, here's a stone. Let me give you homemade bread. Hey, how about manna from heaven? How would that like? What happens to our prayer life? What happens to our prayer life when we have this kind of anticipation? Here, this is from A.W. Tozer. This is what Tozer said. And he's quoting Tennyson here. He said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. He probably uttered a truth of vaster significance than even he understood. While it is not always possible to trace an act of God to its prayer cause, it is yet safe to say that prayer is back of everything, everything that God does for the sons of men here upon earth. One would gather as much from a simple reading of the scriptures. What he's saying, if you look around and see God moving in the world, I promise you, he's saying, somebody's praying. How much more would God do if it was more than just somebody and it was everybody. I'm going to quote Pastor Terry again. Heaven is filled with prayers that are never prayed. He goes on, Tozer says, What profit is there in prayer? Much in every way. Whatever God can do, whatever God, catch this, whatever God can do, faith can do. Whatever faith can do, Prayer can do when it is offered in faith. An invitation to prayer is, therefore, an invitation to omnipotence. 
For prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. Nothing is impossible to the man who prays in faith. Just as nothing is impossible with God. This generation has yet to prove all that prayer can do for believing men and women. End quote. I mean, where in the world is God going to get a hot water bottle in the middle of a jungle today and a dolly while you're at it? See, what we don't understand is when we pray, God already knows we're going to pray and will be, knows that we're going to engage him. And so he'll begin to answer so that it comes to pass if we're going to. My goodness, the mysteries of this. Yet heaven is filled with prayers that have never been prayed. Are there any guiding principles? Of course there are guiding principles, okay? Our prayers must look like the kingdom of God, right? They need to be filled with life. They need to be filled with love. They need to be filled with light. They need to be filled with truth and goodness and beauty. And and we'll we'll take a look at some principles in a minute. But the one thing I want to say is they can't be selfish, right? Prayer is not about us. Prayer is about us engaging God, right? James puts it this way. Here's how James puts it. James chapter 4. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Wow. Dang, James, that's a bit rough. Well, what did Jesus say? You call your brother a fool? You just murdered. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So I want what somebody else has, so I'll just fight over it. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, God's not going to answer prayers that we want to spend on our passions. Um, the, man, you've heard me tell this story before. It's worth telling it because it really brings the point home. Because a lot of us have had prayers, things that we prayed for for a long period of time. But the question is, why are we praying them? There's a man named Dan Muller that I, um, a preacher I like to listen to from time to time. And he tells a story when he came to Christ. He, he first, um, uh, uh, he, when he met his wife, he was 19 and his wife's about three, four years older than him. And he lied to his wife that he was a Christian just so he could get her to marry him. And he spent the next 15 years married just being a living hell in their relationship. And finally, they're about to get divorced. They're about to split up. They had enough for, uh, uh, with one another. And she prayed for him over and over and over. She was done. She was fed up. That's it. And so they're about ready to divorce. And she's sitting at home uh, with one of her girlfriends. And, and, and she's like, you know, he is so deceptive. It would be just like him to call up right now and say, I found Jesus. And she long stopped praying for him. Well, he's at work, it's a, it, it, and it, he's working in a warehouse. He's by himself. No one is around him, and the Holy Spirit falls on him. And he literally gives his entire life to Jesus right then and there. He calls her up. Honey, you're not going to believe it. I found Jesus. Click. 
For the next several weeks, she didn't believe him. She tested him over and over. I know he's fooling. I know this is something he's trying to get something out of the divorce. I know that's going on. And finally, and she did everything she could to test him. Finally, one day, he's out working in the garden. She's in the bathroom. And she's in front of the mirror. And God speaks to her heart and, 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 uh, and says, why are you mad? She says, why am I mad, Lord? I prayed for that man for 15 years. I prayed 15 years for him. And you didn't change him. You waited till I stopped praying. And then he changed. Lord spoke to her. She says, yeah. Let me ask you one question. She goes, yes. In all those 15 years, did you ever pray for him one time for his sake? Or did you just pray for him because of you wanted your situation to be better? She immediately fell to the floor and just started weeping. Because she knew in 15 years she never prayed for him for his sake. She only prayed because he was making her life live in hell. And the Lord spoke to her and says, I couldn't answer that prayer. I had to wait till you stopped to pray in order to answer. Are there principles for prayer? Yeah. We need to pray like the kingdom. She went running out. And she's running out of the house and she's crying. She's weeping. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's like, he sees her coming crying. She's like, he, he thought maybe somebody died or, or something happened or whatever. And, and she comes, they, they hug each other and she's saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she goes, he goes, you're sorry. I'm sorry. And just began to embrace one another. And the kingdom of God began to be real in their homes, in relationships. So what are some of those principles? There's a great book. It's called Prayer is Invading the Impossible. Prayer is Invading the Impossible by Jack Hayford. And I'm just going to hit some highlights here. I, I recommend you go get the book. This is just some highlights for us to carry with as we think about this. Well, I, I, what if I don't understand prayer? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't need to understand prayer to engage. I need to trust. And there's four commitments to trusting. Four commitments. Commit to this. Learn to understand the heart of God. Understand his heart. He is a being in relationship who desires relationship and has held himself to acting based on relationship. Number two, trusting in the certainty of his word. Jeremiah tells us, God says, I watch over my word to bring it to pass. Learn to pray when the certainty of his word. Number three, waiting for patience in, for his time. How many know it's God's timing, not our timing? God, I want patience and I want it now. Number four, commitment. Listen quietly for his voice. God wants to speak to you through prayer. It's relationship. Now, those four commitments are hit by four balances. Four balances. And here's the four balances. The balance between being passive and patient. What does that mean? That means I bring my prayer and I lay it before God. But I'm not just passive, I'm patient. Means I'm what? Expectantly waiting to hear God. The next balance is what? The balance between patience and boldness. I need to be expectantly waiting, but I also need to say, God, we need that water bottle and dolly today. And then I need to find the balance between boldness and presumption. God, you can do anything. God, I demand you to do it. You see the difference? 
Then I need to find the balance between presuming his word and how unsearchable are his ways. Lord, I know you can do this. You specialize in the impossible, but I know your ways are unsearchable. And where do we find all of that? Where do we find all of those balances? Once we've made those commitments, we learn it by doing it. We learn it by doing it. So heaven is filled with prayers that haven't been prayed. The heart of God is a, he is a God in relationship who desires relationship. He is breaking in this world to bring the kingdom of God. And in bringing the kingdom of God, he is inviting you and me to be in a free will relationship with him. To co-labor, to change this world. And what does that mean? That means our prayers are real. They move his heart. He's waiting for us to pray. So how should that look? That should look like us expecting, anticipating. That should look like us being excited to know we're doing God's will when we're praying. That should look like us saying, God's going to look for a way to make this happen because he's a good father. should change our prayer life.